Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as The Comeback Coach. Guys, you know whenever I have anybody on the show, they are game changers and thought leaders. And the gentleman I'm going to have on today is both. But first, I'd like to thank our friends of the show, Ginger and David of Really Designs. If you guys love swag, I love t-shirts, I love hats, and I love comfortable clothes that are made in the United States, definitely check out Ginger and David at Really Designs. Now, guys, if you are in business, you need to get a pen and paper because this year, he's going to be dropping some serious knowledge bombs. First of all, like I said, this gentleman has done a lot of amazing things in the uniform. And I think he's doing even better things out of uniform. He's a prolific writer, author, speaker. He does it all. His name is Stephen Drummond. He is a retired Navy SEAL, and now he's changing the game of business. Stephen, my brother, how are you? Good. Hey, thanks, Richard, for having me on. I appreciate uh, being able to spend some time with you and your listeners. So thank you. Oh, man, you guys are awesome, man. You know, I I love talking to special operators because you guys are like a really different breed you're totally different than whatever whatever i thought of you know like once i talked to Davini and and uh mccaskill you know i thought a navy seal was one way but you guys are totally surprised the hell out of me um and like sometimes i think i'm always thinking of the six foot five jacked up guy and a lot of guys that i talk to they kind of look like my accountant and are sometimes three times as smart as my accountant so thank you so much for hopping on today and telling us a little bit about your story. So how was your day going? Uh, so far, so good. I made it back from dropping my kid off at school today. So I got back in the nick of time. So everything's good. It's no. uh, a cool morning up here in northern Illinois, but it's uh, the sun's out at least. So that's a plus. So tell us a little bit, of, you know, give us a little bit of background. You know, where, where were you born and raised and what kind of kid was little Steven? Not a good one. Not a good kid, I got to admit. But no, I was born and raised in a suburb outside of southwest of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And yeah, I was I was kind of a wild kid. Uh, I definitely needed, you know, discipline in my life. That. All right. I think your phone might have locked. So sometimes that'll uh, mute you. Yeah. So what part of around Philadelphia? Because I'm in Jersey. So where were you? What town? Uh, town called Media. Have you ever heard of that? It's in oh, Delaware I, County. Yeah, I know it very, actually know it very well. Now, were you a, a good student or were you an athlete? Or what would, What kind of kid were you? I was a student and athlete, but good at neither one. So I was not a good student. I was not a good athlete. I was a mediocre soccer player. That would be generous to describe myself as that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I found, I found a lane that, that fit for me and that's the lane I decided to pursue. And luckily I, I found, I found a home, I found a calling and I found a place where, where I truly belonged. So now, you know, cause you're not, like you said, you weren't a very high speed athlete. You weren't very, weren't the greatest student in the world. So what made you think, okay, let me join the Navy. What was your, what was your recruiting story like? Yeah, so 
when I was a little kid, I think I, I always had this thing, this connection towards the military. And I always had this connection towards elite units. And I used to look up to the Vietnam veterans and especially the, the Green Berets. I always thought those were the ultimate guys that, right, going behind the enemy lines and, you know, classified operations. And I just thought that was really cool. But I had an uncle who was a retired naval aviator and he was very much kind of pro Navy. And he even took me down to Fort Bragg to meet some real Green Berets. But he kind of said, you know, he gently nudged me towards the Navy. He said, hey, the Navy has things called SEALs, right? You might want to check that out. And so I did. And I realized, well, I think it's cool being part of the Navy. And this looks like a really, really hard selection process. And so if I can make it through this, I will have really proved a lot to myself. And I really will, you know, feel like I, I've made the right decision. And so that's, that's what I decided to do. And again, I wasn't a good student. So I, I wanted to, to be a SEAL. And not only was I not a good student, I was terrible at math specifically. And I was dumb enough to believe the recruiter when he told me that I would get those few points that I missed the score to qualify for SEALs by. He told me I'd get a waiver for those few points and I was dumb enough to believe him. So I show up in Navy boot camp, the winter of uh, 93, I graduate. And I head up to, to, to Groton, Connecticut, where I worked on fast attack submarines for a couple of years. But I fell in with a really good mentor up there. And, you know, you know, you can always say that things happen for a reason, right? Well, you know, I, those two years, I was able to mature both, both mentally, emotionally, and, and also physically. And so I really feel like those two years were probably instrumental in my success, in my journey. And so I went and out to BUDS training, basic underwater demolition SEAL training in 95 was lucky to, to make it through uh with the class that i started with and graduated uh in february 1996 and you know i i actually since i knew we were going to talk i actually went back and talked to some of your uh teammates from buds um so i had to find out a little bit, i had to dig a little bit okay so but now you know like i've talked to like a, a bunch of guys now and what was it because, you know, like when I talked to McCaskill and Davini, um, you know, they said that the one thing that they, the reason why they made it through Buds was because that one more rep that I'm not going to quit attitude where, you know, like sometimes you see the PT studs, you think they're the ones that are going to make it and they wash out on like the first or second day. So what was your thought process and not quitting? Because I'm sure you've seen those guys ringing the bell and you're like, well, that's not going to be me. Well, there's so much there. I mean, I think a lot of it, I kind of always try to speak on the narrative of my reasons for staying and making it through SEAL training were different than the reasons that I had for going into SEAL training, if that makes sense, right? I had something to prove to myself, right? And that didn't change, but I always was really clinging to, hey, it'll be so cool to crawl around and my my face painted green and doing commando stuff. But once I got there, what I realized, what really became the motivator for me was the people that I was surrounded with. And when I learned how to lean into the people to the left and right of me, when I really learned how to, to understand that, hey, this is a home for me. These are people that I really want to work with. These are the best people I've ever met. And this is the community in which I want to be a part of it. I'm willing to pay the price for admission into that community. And so 
Now, however bad it got, now I had my confidence issues, right? I mean, there were times where I really doubted, like, because it was this mythical beast to me, bunch training. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I always kind of had that little, I don't know if I have what it takes. But when it came actually time when I to ring the bell to quit, I never got there. I never got to the point where I'm like, I'm going to quit. It, you know, and, and that was just my experience. It was never quite more than I could handle, right? But fundamentally, you know, they told us the very first thing that we showed up a bunch training. They said, you will not make it through this training by yourself. For those of you who go on to the SEAL teams, you will not do great things in the SEAL teams on your own. It has to be about the men to the left and right of you. And that's really what I was able to connect with early on. And I feel like that was one of the things that, that helped me make it through. Now, a lot of the guys I've talked to, you know, they said that, you know, after Hell Week, there was, they were exhilarated, they were tired, but there was some kind of depression afterwards. Did you go through that at all? No, I don't think I did. I, I think, uh, I mean, well, I will say this. I, I guess I'll take that back. I had kind of, you know, the one, probably the first serious kind of girlfriend I ever had. And, you know, and she was, I remember she's, you know, quasi supportive of me going out there to do that. So I thought, I make it through hell week and then she's kind of like, all right, well, you proved you could do it, right? You made it through the hardest part. So why don't you just quit and come home? At that point, I was like, you know, I was smart enough to realize at that point that, like, hey, what kind of relationship would that be built on, <laughs> right? If you're going to, if you're going to encourage me to do something that's so important. Uh, and so, yeah, so we broke up and that kind of depressed me for a while. That kind of put me in the, uh, you know, that kind of put me in, in, in the low period, but you know, ultimately I don't know if that was all part of it, but I don't remember something specifically about being depressed, but I will say that does, that takes a toll on your body, right? Going through that, that part of training, right? I mean, you lose your toenails, uh, you, you know, my hands were sensitive, probably like the back of my hands were just swollen and so i they, they were sensitive you felt pain in certain areas it just kind of seemed to linger for like six six months a year so um yeah it definitely takes you toll but i don't i don't feel anything like specifically uh caused depression as now, related to Ellie. what i love about you guys is you know and i'm saying that as guys because you know i love my special operators um that you know once they get the got their trident you know it was the thought process was okay now the begin now it's just the beginning to where a lot of times when a people you know especially in business they they hit a certain goal and then they kind of get um melancholy you know they're like okay i hit that goal and and i'm good but you guys as soon as you got your tri your trident you're like all right now the real work begins so what was your that you know the day you got pinned what was that like uh i got a it was kind of anticlimactic for me to be to be honest it was you know, the way it worked back then, it's different now, but the way it worked back then is you graduate six months uh, of SEAL training, BUDS training. You go to Fort Benning, Georgia for your Army Airborne, you know, your basic paratrooper training. And then you go on to your SEAL team. And for me, that was the East Coast. And you get there and you got to go through what was called SEAL tactical training at the time, which was basically, you know, you don't really learn much at BUDS. All BUDS really teaches you or is really your opportunity to demonstrate your suitability for the program in terms of your level of commitment. Uh, can you think under, you know, think critically under pressure? Are, are, can you be trusted to 
execute diving operations and work safely with weapons and explosives. But you don't learn very, like the skills are so, so very basic. STT, SEAL Tactical Training, bridges that gap a little bit. Well, I had to wait six months because I was one of the most junior guys that showed up there. I had to wait six months to even get through, even get it even before my STT even started. And so a lot of times the guys that I, that I uh, went to buds with who were at different SEAL teams, they already had their tridents uh, and I finally make it through and, and I go through a, a review board. It just basically it's, you know, some, some teams, they ask you really technical questions, but really it was more about like how the, how the older guys think you're doing. Like, are you, are you somebody that, that we can trust to put a, are you somebody that demonstrated competence and character and we can put a trident on your chest and, and I think when I finally got it, it was just, I always, in my life, I never really was satisfied because I always felt like, all right, well, you made it through butts, but you don't have your trident yet. Or you made it through Hell Week, but you still got to do uh, underwater pool comp, right? You may, you get, make through butts, you still got to get your trident. You, you may, you got your trident, but you still got to successfully complete your first deployment, right? So there's always the next thing. So I never really... Like I, it never really was like, oh, I have arrived because it was always the next thing that I had to prove myself, you know, as an operator and then as a leader and then as an instructor and then as a higher level leader. So it really never stops. Like there's the expression that says you got to earn your trident every day. And that's kind of how I always kind of thought in terms of I always have to prove myself again. And I love that, you know, like I said, I love when you guys say that, you know, the all easy day was yesterday. And, uh, and I think it's, it's so true in, 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 biz, in life and in business. So when, when you became a leader, what kind of thought of people that were going through, you know, your, your courses, why do people succeed and why do people fail? So are you talking about military or are you talking about? Well, we're going to do, we're talking just military, then we're going to talk about when you got out. But in the military, you know, you've seen a lot of people wash out of, different courses why do you think the main reason that they they wash out is well i think fundamentally and and i it's funny i just wrote an article on linkedin yesterday about when it's okay to quit i know that's that's what we're going to talk about a little (laughs) bit later well fundamentally it's about commitment like so often we get and this is where the the concept of motivation versus discipline comes in and and a lot of people talk about that but it's motivation, the things that give us a buzz, the things that excite us, the things that drive us to pursue something, whether it's sports, whether it's going to med school, whether it's going to be a Navy SEAL. We're, we're buzzed up by doing that. But if we can't connect that enthusiasm, that excitement with a high level of discipline and commitment, then once, that, once, it, it, it's, once we step off on that journey, it becomes really, really hard we haven't really mentally prepared ourselves for that level of difficulty. And so we start telling ourselves, well, maybe I don't need to climb this mountain, right? Maybe I'll find something easier to do. And so we decide, ah, well, this wasn't even right for me. When really what we failed to do was really take a very measured approach with what it truly takes to commit to the things that are important to us, right? In terms of writing a personal philosophy that says, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. This is where I want to go. And this is how I'm going to get there. And this is how I'm going to show up in the moments and in the relationships that are most important to me. And so I always encourage 
you know, when I talk to people that want to be SEALs and I talk to business people, I always say, I don't care how silly this sounds, write your personal mission statement because you've got to know when you take actions, when you make decisions, whether those things are in alignment with who you are, with your values, your virtues, uh, and your goals. If what you're doing does not serve those things, then you got to take a hard look at what your next steps are. Yeah, and, and I love that. And I, I was just thinking back, you know, because I got three children and one of them is a freshman in college and he's kicking ass. Um, but one thing, you know, I never push my kids into anything. But if they did start, say, like my my youngest daughter is playing softball, you know, I will not let her quit in in the season. She has to finish the season. And, you know, because I, I think that quitting can become a habit. What are your thoughts on that? No, that's exactly right. And, you know, and, and quitting is such a, you know, that's a little bit of hyperbole, right? When I say, when is it okay to quit, right? Because what I would say, and that's exactly a great example, right? You have a child that's like, hey, I'm going to, you encourage that child or they decide on their own, hey, I want to try this, this sport, right? And so they start playing the sport. And then they're kind of like, ah, they're trying to figure out or you're trying to figure out whether the sport just isn't a good fit for them whether they actually just need to put in more work and once they get to a higher level of, of competence that they'll start enjoying it more so they decide okay this sport is not for me i don't want to play this anymore and that's when you as the parent you said okay though the lesson to be learned here is that we've made a commitment that we have to see through regardless of whether we're enjoying it we have to get the reps and sets in that look like us putting in the work and us showing up with the best effort we can do now when we're finished that season, it's perfectly acceptable in my view to reassess. All right, well, is this a good fit? Now we've, we've taken a couple of weeks, we've detached from the sport, from that, and now let's get a good, let's get a good unemotional view at what the, the next path should be. And if that's to not play that sport anymore, then you're not quitting. You're pivoting and doing goals that serve you more, right? But when you disengage from a goal, when you disengage from something, it has to be because you've chosen a path deliberately and intentionally that serves your interests in the long term. Because otherwise, you just quit everything like you mentioned. You're just always looking for that easier path because you haven't learned the difference between when it's okay to pivot and when you really need to kick yourself in the butt and put your head down and grind through it. And so it's important that we teach our kids the difference. Okay, now you've done, you know, you did over 27 years in, in the military, in the military. And, and I'm sure that, you know, cause like I was in the military for a little while, but not, did not nothing as cool as you guys. But, um, but I did realize that there had to be a mind shift change when you go from, you know, being a member of a squad, say to, to leadership. So what was your thought, you know, cause, cause it's kind of like, even in business, you know, there's a different mindset between an employee and a business owner. You have to switch mindsets. So what was your the mindset switch when you decided, you know, instead of like a lot of guys will do, you know, maybe the first, they'll do, you know, their first eight years or 10 years and they get out. But you decided to do the 20s, you know, over 20. So what was your mindset into deciding, oh, I want to go further than a lot of people want to want to go in the teams? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, there was instances at, at milestones of my career when my enlistment to serve would be up, would expire. And I came very close 
to actually leave him. But that uncle that I mentioned, he was like, look, he was like, he's like, believe me when I tell you, you want to stick it through. You want to retire. And, and I'm so glad that I, that I did. But when it comes to, to leadership, when it comes to making that pivot from say an operator, it is a shift. You still have to be, and in the SEAL teams, you have to maintain credibility by being very good. You have to be the best operator or at least one of the best operators in that unit or you won't have respect. You won't be seen as a credible leader. And so, but there, but as a leader, there was plenty of times when I led poorly, when I just didn't have it. But I would say the one thing that I had going for myself was I had the ability to really sit and reflect, you know, very objectively on, on what I was doing well and what I was doing poorly. And I had the ability to really kind of tap in and get inspiration and lessons from the people that I looked up to as leaders. And so there's plenty of times, you, you know, every time I would finish a leadership milestone, I would be like, man, if I just had that to do over again, based on what I learned, I would do it so much better. Uh, and so sometimes you don't have that opportunity, but what you can do is do your very best to train your replacement in those situations. And so that's kind of led to kind of when I work with organizations, when I, when I come on as a speaker or a consultant or a trainer, the things that I talk about it is a, a witch's brew of my failures, of the things that I've done well, of the things that I've learned from the really incredible leaders that we had in our community. And so I really try to distill that down into, into practices, into skills, into a mindset that, that serves somebody regardless of, of what the specific industry is. You know, and I love that, you know, and like one of the things, you know, like when I became a non-commissioned officer, you know, it, I actually I lived at non in the NCO creed, you know, and I think what made me an effective leader was was like, you know, like like our friend Gary V says, you know, the best marketing strategy ever is to care. And and I think once your guys know that you care about them, they'll literally, you know, jump and through a wall for you that you care about them as a person. What are your thoughts on building relationships? Well, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in relational leadership. I mean, not only do people not want to work with a jerk, you know, and a lot of times people look at the military, right? And they have these misconceptions that I always try to, to work against, which is you're in the military. We're just like robots. We just mindlessly follow the people with the higher insignia on their shoulders or their collar. And we just do whatever we're told, right? Like, like good little robots. When in reality, you know, yeah, you got to follow the rank. You got to follow the, you know, you got to follow the orders of the organization leader. But I, I would argue that's really no different than any organization. But if you want to engender the loyalty, if you want to extract the absolute highest level of performance from your team, from your organization, it has to be based on the culture that you create. When people don't aren't just following the rank, aren't just following the thing on your shoulder, they're following you as the woman, you as the man, how you show up, right? And, and, they're, and they're going to invest just like you described. The level of investment they're going to have into the team, into the mission is going to be based on the culture that you've helped foster, you've helped create. You know, people that really will take a bullet for somebody, right? In the most literal sense, but also in the, in the corporate world, the people that will, when their lives are going pretty well, when it's smooth sailing, 
they'll pick their head up out of their cubicle. They'll look around and they'll say, how can I be of assistance? How can I show up for the people around me? Because if I do, I know that it's only going to benefit me. It's only going to make me feel better about the place in which I serve and the place in which I work. And so developing those relationships is really a big challenge in today's environment of the remote working. And I feel like and in a conversation I had this morning, I, I asked the question, I said, are we being too cavalier? Are we so quick to celebrate the convenience of, of not having to, to hire people to watch our kids because we're working from home? Or are we dismissing the importance of the interpersonal communications face-to-face engagement will lead to that higher level of collaboration and it becomes really really difficult to inspire persuade within your sphere of influence when you're just relying solely on remote work and i understand that people have been doing that for 25 years and i understand that we've found ways to optimize that but we shouldn't dismiss the the real human being in a room with the people that you're working with, we, we shouldn't dismiss that. We should take every opportunity to connect in, in areas, in, in environments that are about getting to know people and not just about what the day-to-day business operations are. Yeah, and I love, you know, and I love that. One thing I love about you guys, you know, like I said, as Navy SEALs and operators are you guys plan, you know, a lot of people have, plan a plan b you guys have an a b c d e f and g but when the shit hits the fan um i try not to curse so i apologize you know when the stuff hits the fan i'll, I'll try not to take offense richard <laughs> I, i'm sure you've never heard any of these words before so but uh you know when the stuff hits the fan like you know like what, what went down when you guys got bin laden you know even though a helicopter went you know went down you guys had to pivot and i think uh, what that's one of the things that you guys are really great at is to follow plans, but also to be able to pivot when you have to. And especially now, you know, we're dealing at times of COVID, a lot of companies had to pivot. So talk to us about, you know, when you guys have a plan, you know, like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Tell us how you guys plan for unplanned events, if that makes any sense. Well, right. And so, you know, I'll try to keep this concise, but there's a term we use in military doctrine called the commander's intent, where if you feel like a higher level commander will say, all right, they'll say within this valley in this area, say in Afghanistan, I want to conduct an operation. And when the operation is concluded, I want the conditions on the ground to look like this. I I want to achieve this level of, of denying the enemy uh, access to freedom of movement in that area. All right, so here's your limits. Here's your left and right limits. Here's your constraints. Here's what you can't do as it relates to uh, rules of engagements, et cetera. But within that, I want you, the, the, the field commander, the field unit, to leverage all of the creativity. I want you to, to have the latitude to be flexible in your execution as situations on the ground develop and change. And so when we mission plan, and we mission plan, from the bottom up. And again, another people, they look at the military as this hierarchical top-down leadership when in reality, at least in the special operations, you know, we plan from the bottom up, right? The breachers, the team leaders, they figure out how you're gonna, you know, get into this compound, into the structure, right? The, 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 the radio operators, they come up with communications plan. The, uh, your snipers, they typically will, will get your route in, your patrol into the objective. 
right? But in, for every phase of that operation, starting with as I walk out to the airfield and, and one of four helicopters cannot fly because it's leaking hydraulic fluid. All right, well, we got a plan for that. All right, the helicopter, the helicopter gets shot out of, of the sky. The mission changes, but we got a plan for that. We've talked about it. We've considered it. We've even walked through it physically. And, you know, we lose the element of surprise. What do we do now? Is the mission over or are, come back another day? Are we going to, to continue the mission and on, on our way to the objective? And so we walk through every phase of that operation and we're constantly thinking about it. As a leader on that helicopter riding in, you're mentally rehearsing the contingency plans. You're mentally rehearsing what it should look like and what it could look like. And so the lesson here is that we have the mindset, not that we can conceive of everything that goes sideways. We can't. But we have the mindset that we will refuse to be back on our heels, deer in the headlights, when things don't go our way. Because we've always considered that things are going to go off script. And even if we don't have the perfect answer, we're going to respond in the most intentional and composed manner to get us the, the, the best outcome we can possibly achieve in that moment. Uh, that's, that's, that's an amazing uh, point. Now, uh, when you decided to retire, or when you did retire, because now we're going to we're going to hop into business a little bit. Um, were you married? Did you have children at this time? Yes. Because I find, you know, that a lot of times when guys and girls, because I've had guys and females on here, when, you know, they get out of the military um, and they hit the streets, they, they don't have that hard conversation with their significant other. You know, sometimes they're going to start a business or they're going to, you know, whatever they're going to do they don't include their partner until the crap hits the fan and then they got to have an even harder conversation. So what was that conversation at the kitchen table when you're like, all right, honey, I want to retire and this is what I want to do. What, what was that conversation like? Well, you know, the thing for me is I retired a year later than I was actually planning. And one of the last things that I did before I retired was I was, I was lucky enough. Uh, one of the best things I did in the military was develop this, help develop this program called the Navy Warrior Toughness Program. And so I was supposed to retire and then I got asked to stay on an extra year to help kind of further grow that and export that to other uh, areas in the Navy. And so it was really, I felt like it was a slow roll out. I felt like I was really prepared and we had plenty of time to discuss what I was going to do. We had a good plan. Um, but then like everybody, right, I am just starting to get tracked traction in the speaking world, right? I'm just starting to get gigs booked. And then all of a sudden COVID hits, right? And I'm still like, I, my, my name recognition, my brand recognition, it wasn't like really highly visible. It had I gotten out maybe a year earlier. And so there was a, a low spot where I'm like, all right, I'm not making income. And my wife is, she's doing well, but there was friction, right? There's friction because I'm like, all right, well, from her viewpoint, I'm doing all this stuff to kind of build my brand and just trying to add value to the world. But it's not necessarily at the time, you know, I'm not getting that that tangible return on investment in terms of money into my account. And so it's like, all right, well, maybe you need to divest and, and be more supportive at home. And I think a lot of people are like that when it comes to, to sometimes careers are doing better than the partner or the spouses. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that you have to work through. Unfortunately, I've got an awesome wife and fundamentally, but she's an alpha and she's a killer. But, uh, 
you know, she's also very been been very supportive of me and, and encouraging me as well. And so I, I'm just I'm blessed to have that in my life. So when did you start uh, preaching leadership? When when did you start that? while you were still in or as you got out? Yeah, when I was still in, it was it was important for me, uh, you know, just me personally to keep my signature pretty low as it relates to kind of I, I, I didn't want there to be a conflict of interest. I, I didn't want to be, you know, seen as having this doing all going out and doing speaking and gigs while I'm still, you know, active duty in the military. And so I created it. I did some stuff kind of below the radar. I, I got uh, I went to an awesome place uh, in New Jersey called Heroic Public Speaking, where I could really start to master the craft of, of being a good speaker. And uh, I think I developed breaching leadership. Uh, a friend actually named uh, Jim Vasilopoulos, uh, he's a, an advisor up, up here near Chicago. He actually came up with the, the name for me, and I used it because I thought it was cool. And so I think it was probably about 2018, 2019. I, I really have no concept. I'd have to look it up, to be honest. So now, you know, because a lot of people are going to listen are listening to this and they're, they're speakers, they're coaches. And, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, public speaking is an easy thing, but people don't realize that it is the number one fear in the world is public speaking. So in your mind, you know, and what you were taught, what is the difference be- between a speaker, and a good speaker? Well, you know, you brought up some good points. And the fundamental thing is I see I see people that want to be speakers, but they, you know, like, well, I've got all this experience. Like for me, I, I had the experience. I spent a lot of time as an instructor in front of people. But me being intentional, me going out there and doing it effectively is not something that, that's just going to happen. Like you don't go out there. It's like speaking is like anything else. You don't just go out there and think that you're just going to do it if you have not tried to master it as a craft or a skill. And so I was like, the thing that's going to set me apart and make me a good speaker is if I apply the same mindset towards getting better, towards performing, towards developing skills as I would any other thing in the SEAL teams. And so I went out and I, I was very selective, but I got what I thought was the very best public speaking training that I could get. And so, and I constantly work to try to get better and I'm not an expert and I haven't figured it all out, but it's a craft that I continue to pursue mastery in. And I would say the translation here is even if you're not a paid speaker, but you use speaking in some capacity as a leader in a boardroom, whatever that is, you need to apply a little bit of preparation, a little bit of skill development and making sure that you can stay clear, concise, you can get your message across. You know how to tell a good story, that you know how to connect with people in the room with you. And, and you need to apply some, some intentionality towards that uh, if you want to be a good speaker, whether that's, again, a professional speaker or you're using speaker as a way to kind of get your message out in, in, a, in a different professional sense. And I love that. You know, a lot of people I've heard, you know, they say that um, people will 90 percent of people will never remember what you said. But 100% of the people remember will remember how you made them feel. So sometimes, you know, like when I speak, you know, I talk to a person's heart because, I, you know, I believe I want to when somebody leaves from, you know, when I have a talk or I give a talk that they leave with it, something that they can take an actionable step. And it's not just fluff because sometimes you hear a lot of speakers, it's motivation. But then you get home and you're like, 
what do I do now with what I just, with what he just told me, what do I do with it? So how does your company, you know, how do what you do, you know, when you speak, but how do they go home and act upon what you just taught them? No, and that's exactly right. And it depends on what your specific deliverable is, right? If you're doing this broad keynote, a lot of it's going to be more, you know, inspirational, right? But when you go in and do say a workshop or, or a, a breakout then you got, you're going to be more prescriptive in the things. And I actually try to do both, right? If you're going to bring me in to talk to your organization, it is my job to entertain, to, to tell good stories, but to do so in, in a way that brings humor, that brings relatability, right? I'm not some hero out, out there that you can't relate to because if, if that's the way I come across, then I failed. And so it's also my job to work with the company. And far too often I see these companies will spend top dollar bringing in these great speakers. And some of these speakers are awesome, right? You know, I can think of, uh, you know, a group of military folks that come in and they give some very prescriptive things. But the company fails to tie that to the next steps. They fail to capitalize on that wisdom and those things that everybody in the audience learned and is jazzed up about. And they don't actually put that into play. People love to talk about these concepts from these great authors and these great speakers. But, it, you know, I work with organizations and I try to get them to say, hey, well, here's let's see how we can put this in. After you're done talking to me, right, if you never see me again, I hope to have impact because your people have now seen things in a different way. And they can now use these very specific things to kind of to, to, to plan, prepare and execute at a higher level in the professional and their personal lives. You know, so I, I think the I, burden's on both. And I love that. Like, like, you know, if you come in and talk to our organization, I, I would love, you know, for you to leave with an, an SOP for us so we can act upon it. Because there's got to be a reason that, you know, 100,000 people will go see Tony Robbins and only 10 percent will act upon whatever he says. There, you know, it'll just be it'll be tickling their ears. And then when they get home, there's no change. So, you know, I think that's very important to, you know, for guys like yourself, that when you guys go, you, you actually uh, teach, but you also give an SOP to where people can actually take it, take it home and start working on it and start using what you're taught. So now when you guys, when you first started speaking, you know, how was it getting booked? How did you get booked the first couple of times? Uh the way I got booked was through my connections was really through my network. The people that I, you know, up here, the great thing about where I moved to North of Chicago is there's, I really got in contact with a great many people that just their version of serving and giving back is to help provide guidance, mentorship and opportunity to our veterans. And in, and one of the things I like to highlight is the, the you know, a couple of the people that I spoke to are like, look, I want to help get you in front of people <coughs> that don't that don't just want to hire you because it's their way of giving back. They want to hire you because you've been given the opportunity to demonstrate the value that you're going to bring to that organization. They're, they're going to hire you not just because it's it's the patriotic duty. They're going to more specifically hire you because they recognize the value of your leadership, your experience that you can bring to their organization. And so those have been some of the real meaningful connections that I've had. Uh, and those are the things that kind of, that have, that have helped me really get a good start people. That, and then when you, people will see me speak, 
um, they'll tell their friends and then I get gigs from that, the referable speech. Um, but really that's really where it started. And then really that's where I continue to get most of my work uh, today is, is through the networks is through uh, referrals. And, you know, one thing that I love that you talk about is, is commitment. You know, you talk a lot about commitment and I think that's very important because a lot of times somebody will go into a sales job and say, you know what, I'm going to try sales, you know, and like, you know, Zig Ziglar said, you know, sales can be either the highest paying job or the worst paying job in history. It all depends on you. So talk to us about when you go to sit down with a, a company and you see that maybe there's not a whole lot of commitment there and you know they're not going to persevere during the tough times. So how do you get somebody to commit even if they, they're kind of on, on the fence? Well, really, you know, if it's me having a sales conversation, fundamentally, I always try to lead with, and this was critical to me, when, when COVID hit and I'm tearing up checks because of the, the gigs that got canceled, I had to do something, right? Fundamentally, I, I want to make money speaking. Of course I do, right? But the reason I'm doing this job, the reason, no matter whether it's a speech, whether it's an article I write, is I have, I, I, I'm passionate about translating the things that I learned because I want that message to get out because I feel I have a message that's worth hearing. And so it was critical to me. I, I reached out to clients and I said, you, you know, past clients. And I said, look, I, I don't need to be paid anything. Can I be a value? Can I come in? Can I help? You know, I, I've been through a lot of this. Military families have been through a lot of this kind of turmoil, right? Initially, can I, can I be of some service? And so really that not only, you know, helped them, but it helped me. I'm not getting money specifically. Uh, many of them ended up paying me anyway, but I'm not getting money specifically, but at least I feel like I'm, I'm bringing value. So when you get in front of a customer or a client, like the first thing should be, I'm, I'm here to provide value. And a lot of times, some of the best salespeople, they sit down in front of a customer or a client. They're like, look, I'm leading with value. And that value may not result in a transaction for me today. I may even have a conversation that says, look, my offering, my service, my product, I don't feel is right for you because you're leading with value. But what I can do is connect you with somebody else. I can connect you with a competitor or a peer that can be of service to you. And you know what? they will appreciate the fact that you're bringing them value. And so I will tell people, hey, my message might not be right for you. I speak about high stakes performance, high stakes leadership, and fundamentally, do I ultimately believe that everybody can take away from that? I, I obviously do, but my message still is not positioned to be best for everyone. And so I feel like when it comes to that conversation, it's gotta be about outcomes the outcomes that I want for the customer, regardless of, of, of what deliverable, whether it's a speech, whether it's a workshop, what outcomes can I affect for your organization? And so that's really around what the, the conversation is. And, and if you're willing to do that, then we can have the conversation about how you're going to take the things that I teach you and how you're going to put them into a specific practice. And so that that's a long winded way of saying that it's, you know, there's a lot of different equations that go into that. So what makes a veteran able to do well in business? What are some of the positives that they can take from their military service and transfer them over into the business sector? Well, and I want to be clear by saying, right, we all know, like, veterans aren't all created equal. We all come from, you know, somebody can be a veteran, 
that served for six months, right? Or somebody could be a veteran that served for 30 years, you, you know? And so obviously we can't just, uh, you know, put them, lump them all into one group. But the one thing that I would say though, if, you, if, you're, if you're going to generalize with what veterans will bring to your organization is we learn leadership almost from day one. You know, in the civilian world, often when we look at management, when we look at promotions, we look at, hey, this person is, is really good in their technical craft. They're a really good sales representative. So whether it's through tenure, whether whatever the reason is, their talent, we're going to just push them up into the manager role. But we haven't given them anything. We haven't given them any tools. We haven't given them any specific training. Maybe they've had some mentoring. But we haven't said this is fundamentally some principles of leadership when it comes to leading, inspiring, persuading people. And if we don't do that, then we shouldn't wonder why they stumble, why they fail, a lot of them. And we, we flush a lot of good potential leaders because we're just not willing sometimes to give them a little bit more of the tools. Well, in the military, if you've been around, you are put in roles. You are developed, right? Especially in the SEAL teams. A brand new guy on his first deployment. He's still given the opportunity to lead, to teach classes to foreign special operations forces. He's given opportunities to say, hey, you're going to manage, you're going to run every facet of this three-week training trip down in, you know, somewhere in the southern United States. And so we keep responsibility on them, but we're there to kind of guide them to make sure that they don't fall on their face. They can learn, but they can fail and they can learn some more. And so I think veterans kind of have that, that that investment into leadership. And I feel like that probably is, is one of the primary benefits that, that we can, and in standards. We're used to working with an organization with clear standards. And, and so I think that helps. And you had a great article in Forbes, you know, I, I really enjoyed it about how mental toughness begins with purpose. So can you talk about that? Because I think, you know, what's one thing that a lot of veterans have is that that mental toughness that never quit attitude. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I would say purpose, right? Purpose is, you know, as you know, Simon Sinek talks about it all the time, right? Almost, you know, we hear it ad nauseum, the, the why, finding your why. But, you know, even if we work for the perfect organization, right, with the perfect boss, there's going to be times when we become disconnected, when we become slightly disillusioned with the, the leadership decisions or the direction the organization's taking. Right. And at this point, we can start to become disenfranchised now. And I'll be I'll be very candid. You know, when I tell stories about being a leader of SEALs in combat, like there's no me up there. Hey, men, the men are frightened. But I said, follow me. And we took that hill and that machine gun. In reality, like that's not how my experience was leading SEALs. They're very driven, competent people that, are, that don't need to be guided. Right. If anything, they need to be redirected but they never be, in, be inspired and in taking the fight to the enemy. And instead, my leadership challenges instead were when I'm trying to get Navy SEALs to do things that aren't really the things that they want to do. When we go from kicking door in, doors in and engaging the enemy in direct uh, action operations, and then we go from kind of, you know, at least my experience, I went from, you know, doing that stuff to now providing personal security details for fledgling governments or I'm taking people from the combat zone while their friends are doing the sexy stuff. We're in a third world country, getting sick off the food, training some people, not in combat. That's when the leadership challenges really come. And that's when you really, as a leader, have to say, help 
validate, revalidate that sense of purpose. But ultimately, I want everybody in the organization to understand that you have to take ownership for your own sense of purpose, right? And that starts with that personal philosophy of this is who I am. This is what I stand for. These are my values. This is where I want to go. This is how I show up in the moments and in the relationships that matter most. And let that underpin my sense of purpose, right? So at the end of the day, I have a personal philosophy. It says, you know what? No matter what happens, I'm a professional. I do for the people to the left and right of me. I don't crack when things get hard and I work to get better every day. So that should be your mantra. And so with everything, if that's your mantra, if you're constantly having that at the forefront, then that underpins your strength when it comes to that mental toughness. Now, mental toughness, in my belief, is that that's something you also have to train specifically. Uh, that everybody can learn certain things to get them to be mentally tougher or just tougher, more resilient in, in general. Brother, you are truly amazing. I just want to let you know that. And I just want to say thank you for um, hanging out with us today. Uh, last two questions I ask everybody. Um, how do we get in touch with you? How do we find you? How does somebody, if they want, you know, for, to you, for you to be a mentor, how, how can we get in touch with you? Yeah, I'd say the best thing if you want to have a conversation about leadership or if you want me to you know, have a conversation about, again, mentoring or, or doing some work for you, just hit me up on my website. Uh, it's steve at stephendrum.com, steve at S-T-E-P-H-E-N, drum, D-R-U-M.com. Uh, and you can follow me on, on LinkedIn. I'm on, I really started, I've been in Clubhouse a lot lately. I'm trying to get that up and going. I got a small following, but uh, it's a lot of fun for me. If you're, if you're not familiar with Clubhouse, it's a good way to kind of get your ideas up on their feet and talk about them. And it's, it's, it's been fun for me. So that's where me and you connected is Clubhouse. That's right. So, all right. So since we're talking about it, you know, like our friend Gary says, you know, the top two uh, social media platforms of this year is going to be TikTok and Clubhouse. So tell us about what you like about Clubhouse. Again, I, what I like about Clubhouse is I, I'm, I'm going to be completely transparent here. I hate social media. It is the, the probably the top area in my life where I will default to laziness or, or being disconnected, you know, despite how important it is for me building my brand, for me, you know, being seen. I, I just don't like it, right? I just don't like doing it. But Clubhouse is the easy thing where, you know, and I've, I've, I've throttled back a little bit as I try to diversify my social media portfolio. But I like Clubhouse because obviously – you know, one of the things as a speaker that's important is is going into different situations, looking at different things and finding an interesting and maybe sometimes, you know, uh, counterintuitive perspective on those things is finding a way that you can take a different slice and come up with something that's unique, but also valuable. And when you have ideas, it's a great way to socialize those ideas. It's a great way to talk about those things. And so I found that Clubhouse is a really good way to do that. And, and you know, also for me, for somebody who's not like super, super savvy when it comes to social media, like this morning, I just sit on a room for like a half an hour and learn about people's favorite tools for social media, right? How they're going to put captions on their videos, how they're going to kind of aggregate their posts and disseminate them uh, with different platforms. And so, uh, again, it's it, it's it's good. It can be addictive, though. It can be a time suck. But ultimately, I, I enjoy my time there. I love it. And I'm so grateful that we actually got to meet on there. So. Uh, last question is, you know, I, we live in a very crazy world right now. Um, parents are homeschooling kids. It's parents. Some, some parents is working two jobs, driving Uber, maybe just to pay, put some food on the, t on the table. 
So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if there's somebody that's struggling with their business, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to right the ship? Uh, all right, one step. Uh, maybe I'll fudge on the one step, but be very clear with what your objectives look like, not in terms of the specifics, right? And don't be burdened so much with the, with the means, but focus on the ends, right? And that can change. We can pivot. We can adjust what that desired end state looks like. But sometimes we become so focused on, you know, the means by doing something, right? And we do need to focus on process, right? We need to be focused on the things that we're doing well within a moment. But ultimately, we have to be a little bit flexible. We have to be able to pivot. We have to identify from the outset that we're going to face challenges. So keep our, our eye on that end state and how, even if it's painful, even if we take a couple steps back, make sure that we're always doing something every day that gets us closer to what that's going to be. And I wish I could add a lot more to it. but No, yeah. that, that's awesome. So, guys, definitely check Stephen out. Definitely email him. Get, go to his website. He's got a lot of great things going on. Guys, I also want, like I said, I want to thank our friends at Really Designs for t taking care of us and let us know, you know, they're a veteran-owned company. All my sponsors on my show are 100% veterans 100% of the times. So I, I love uh, supporting veterans. Steven, thank you so much. And um, I'm so grateful that you took the time to hang out with us today. And hopefully our relationship just starts today. And hopefully I can bring more value to your life and your business. Absolutely, Richard. Again, thanks for your support. Thanks for allowing the opportunity to come in and, and talk with you, you and your audience. So it's been it's been a pleasure. I appreciate well, it. God bless you and God bless your children. Thank you so much, brother. Have an thank amazing you. day. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.